Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. With your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. This week, two guest co-hosts, count them two. For one, returning champion, Jack Kelly. Hello, I'm here. The first returning guest co-host in the show's history. Yes, because I am a slut for true crime. That's what happens when you suggest a documentary and I go, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Let's cover that. I got more. I got more, Adam. (laughs) You just tell me. You just tell me what and I'll be there. (laughs) And also joining us, my co-host on several things. You don't even like sports, which is a podcast about how Jeff doesn't even like sports. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Several other podcasts of his own. Jeff May is here. Hey, everybody. Hey, it's good to see you, Jack. It's good to see you, True Crime. I'm assuming that's your nickname now, considering the title, Adam. Mine? Yeah, that's what the T in my name stands for. Adam True Crime Brown. Yep. Wow. (laughs) True Crime with one D. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, I wanted Jeff to be on this because we're covering something that happened in his hometown. Talk about my people. Oh, yes. And by that, I mean lesbians. (laughs) I mean, also my people. So (laughs) great selection, Adam. As soon as they showed her, I was like, oh, this is a Northampton-ass lady. And then they're like, move to Northampton. And I was like, ah, I got it. My favorite is that they're like, it's an artsy community. And then they just show shots of like the rainbows and all of this. Like, mm, <laughs> yeah. definitely an artsy community. <laughs> uh, Northampton's awesome. It's a great spot. Really cool, really free, really great place. But also it's in Western Mass, which is a hotbed of opiate addiction. Yes. And that brings us to the documentary we're covering, How to Fix a Drug Scandal, which is a 2020 documentary Four parts. We'll talk about if it needed to be that long about a wild scandal that happened at two different drug labs in Massachusetts. In one case involving a woman who switched the samples. I just wanted to do it. I wanted to do it before Jeff did it. It's going to happen. I was ready to do it in the notes when I saw that. I was like, all right. Yeah, it's going to happen a lot throughout this. And if no one gets that reference, Google it. You're going to get a few different results. Google me, bitch. Google the fugitive or John Mulaney. Any number of things. Or Adam Todd Brown, Jeff May, Tom Ryman, and Alex Schmidt in Denver. (laughs) That might not be as fruitful of a search, but we'll see. We'll see. So I like how in the beginning of this, they talk about how Massachusetts is this like bastion of liberalism. And then they're like, except for criminal justice issues. And it's like, oh, yeah, you mean... Unlike all those other liberal bastions where the criminal justice system is really cool. It's funny, too, because I do have personal experience with the Massachusetts State Police, not the least of which being that I used to train them how to fight. They would want to learn boxing stuff and would come to my old coach and I would be instructed to work with them. They weren't always the nicest people. No. A lot of them talked about the affairs they were having openly. Cool. Cool. Cops are cool people. Very cool. You can take that sound bike out of context. <laughs> yeah. Feel free. Yeah. I mean, at least Chicago, where Jack is from. Now, that's that's a liberal city with a really cool police force. They're oh, so cool. They're a chill so cool. bunch. Got a police force that'll beat you with a short length of hose. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they operated a black site. There is a good wife episode about it. Yeah. 
Chicago's really fun. So yeah, the story starts in 2015. A woman named Sonia Farrakh. They show her giving courtroom testimony, but it's not really her. It's a woman who's in a bunch of comedy shit. And I think I recognized her from Aubrey Plaza's The Black Bear, which is a drama in Aubrey Plama. Yes. Yes. I recognized her from, because I listened to the podcast Dead Eyes, and she was a guest on an episode of that. And they're like, oh, and she's in How to Fix a Drug Scandal. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Hold up. I've seen this before. You do comedy. You but played a homely drug addict. <laughs> delightful. That looks like she's wearing a wig, and I'm not convinced that it's not a wig. I don't know if it is a wig. She just looks like the type who would have that kind of hair that looks like a wig. Yeah, I think the hair and makeup, they were probably just like, yeah, just don't shower for three days and we'll work with it. It's mostly how low her hairline is. Mm. You know, people have like four heads and like five heads. This is really great media for podcasts, but sure, like, sure. you know, talking about like how big people's foreheads are. She had like maybe three fingers or two that like between her brow and her hairline. I was like, what? That's why I'm like, is this a wig? Because she smoked her hair. <laughs> I still don't know that it needed to be a four-hour documentary. No. Even. I didn't need to know that she played football as a kid, but okay. Yeah, they do a lot of childhood stuff. And I'm like, there's nothing in her childhood that leads to falsifying drug lab results in adulthood. Drug addiction, but think, sure. But but I think that's kind of the point, to point out that like there's nothing in someone's childhood that can pinpoint exactly like you know, why they would do things like this or like why they would become a drug addict. And it's like, I think part of that is the fact that Sonia was a young lesbian growing up in a world that was not necessarily accepting yet. It was like she graduated in like, what, like 2000 or something. And it's like, yeah, something like that. You know, it's different world. If, if there's a state to exist in and be a lesbian, at least Massachusetts was the one to be. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. It's like if she's still feeling all the things and the fact that they were like, you know, yeah, she had a partner, I guess. They kind of like brushed over the fact that like she was with a woman. Yeah, they <laughs> like, were hiding it for like a big reveal. And when they finally revealed it, we're like, yeah, we know. I think it would have been a bigger reveal if it was like, and her husband. <laughs> yeah, her husband, Carl. And you're like, excuse me. Yeah, she played high school football, and yeah, right, she, she was not a kicker. No, she was no. goddamn icebox. Saying, I like to hit, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, great. Good job, Sonia. Proud of you. I like to take a hit. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, you are right. Um, they, they do kind of make that point that this wasn't a thing anyone was going to see coming. Because well, she this, also held down this job for years and years and years doing like rock star level amounts of drugs. Yeah. I like how she's like, well, you know, I dipped my toes into it by taking some liquid meth. <laughs> and you're like, excuse me? That's how you dipped your toes into the pool of drug usage by putting meth in an eyedropper and just giving it a go? There is something earlier, I think it's in like episode one or two, where they're establishing how long it's been that she's been abusing drugs in the lab. And they're like, oh, yeah, she's been smoking crack for the past six months. And so those are the only cases that those are affected. And one of the lawyers is like, I'm sorry, 
You do not start smoking crack <laughs> in your 30s. Like you no. just that's not where you start. <laughs> yeah, and no one's ever been like, "What drug do I want to try first?" She did it with meth. Yeah, that's she was true. Taking liquid amphetamines like Oh, liquid ketamine, that, like it's that's how. Yeah, she. I love the vast array of things she was taking because she'd be like, "Oh, you know, I would, I would feel the energy," and then later it's like, "So I was taking ketamine," and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I that's guess a, that was a big come down from the meth, huh?" That's a different kind of high entirely. Yeah, she's like, "I was oh. drinking horse blood to keep myself <laughs> going." The fact that they had the audacity to be like six months. You're like, all right, we know what you're trying to do here. But it is a good reminder, too, that, you know, drug addiction, especially opiate addiction, but obviously this goes so much deeper than just opiate addiction, oftentimes starts because of the medical community. People seem Mm -hmm. to forget that. A lot of heroin addiction starts from people overprescribing opiates. Yeah. And opiates are expensive and heroin is not. So in 2013, two lab employees noticed some samples missing in the lab Sonia Farrick works at. And the police show up, they start looking around, they go through Sonia's desk, and they find the evidence bags that they were looking for. And she'd already done the analysis on them, but the bags were sliced open. And they test what's in the evidence bag, and it comes up negative. So she basically switched the samples. Like she switched said. the samples! <laughs> There were drugs in there, and then she replaced them with not drugs and then put them back (laughs) in evidence. And she switched it with, like, candle wax and, like... Yeah, they had, like, a nice little setup of what the stuff, Mm -hmm. like, all the different stuff they would do, yeah. Yeah, because there's, like, different things you can do to... Like, I know flakes of soap look like crack. Like, there's all kinds of different things you can... Like, anything looks like cocaine, pretty much. I knew somebody that was telling me and a friend of mine, he was like, oh, yeah, my wife's been she got into cocaine and we're like, oof. And he goes, yeah, but she's been it's weird. She's been like cooking it and then like smoking it. So she's been doing that. And we were like, you mean crack? (laughs) And he was like, no, it's cocaine. She's just like cutting it and then cooking it. And he's basically explaining the. And we're like, I don't think you understand that your wife is smoking crack. Well, I mean, the fact that she's cooking it herself does technically make it free base instead of crack for it to be crack one it has to come from the crack region of los angeles and two it has to be already cooked into crack when you buy it she was making crack and smoking (laughs) but yes she was doing chemistry he was basically saying by cooking it she was doing chemistry right to like make crack and then smoking it it's and we we're t- like, that's crack. And he was like, no, it's just it's, she's buying cocaine. <laughs> yeah, because that's how you make crack, which she's then doing. Yeah, Tell and me also- you don't know how to make crack without telling me you don't know how to make crack. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very like, ah, but also at the same time, like, hey, you know how smoking crack is like a punchline? Your wife is that punchline right now. Yeah, it definitely has a social stigma to it. That's for sure. But also it has the reputation it has for being addictive for a reason too, because it feels pretty good, baby. I did it. Yeah, you've said it on, you've, you've, smoked, you've given it a whirl once, right? I've smoked crack a couple times just to see what I was made of, see what I could And survive. then you were like, I'm going to never do this again, right? Yeah, well, I just knew every time I did it, I was just like that, well, you can't do this tomorrow. That's for sure. Otherwise, you're going to do it the rest of your fucking life. So that's crack smoking tips from an expert just don't do it two days in a row also don't do it it's bad to, especially not uh, get now. off your high horse well no not now especially with 
fentanyl seeping into the cocaine pipeline. It's a bad time to be doing cocaine. God damn. I feel like that's a lateral. If you're smoking crack, that's a pretty lateral transition to fentanyl at this point. No, but the way fentanyl gets into cocaine, it kills people. Yeah, that's fun. Be safe, Jeff. (laughs) Be safe when you're smoking your crack. Exactly. Make sure your crack is from a sealed bottle when you open it (laughs) with the the seal of freshness. So the police get a search warrant. They go through Sonia's shit. They find drugs in her car. They find like crack pipes in her desk. So then the question is obviously, well, how long has this been going on? And the problem is this happens hot on the heels of Another drug lab scandal that had already been found out by this point that happened in the other Massachusetts, Boston. And this one's weird. Well, and also not just hot on the heels, like Sonia was found out in January of 2013. And Annie Dukin, who's the one in Boston, was arrested in September. Like, I would like to add the white collar v blue collarness of these two scandals, by the way. Mm. Uh, Annie Dukin has a much more sort of white collar version of being an absolute monster. Yeah. Where it's like the only thing she was addicted to was overachieving and getting attention. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, and, and getting some DA ass. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sonia Farrick is like Wesley Snipes right hand man in, in New Jack City who just like up and decides to start smoking crack himself. It's like, why, why would you do that at that point? Silly. So her story was different. She was accused of altering lab evidence to make innocent people sometimes look guilty. And yet somehow when these scandals first come out, the Massachusetts attorney general just comes out right away and is like, we're pretty confident no one was wrongly convicted because of any of this. And it's like wrongly convicted is like right in the name of what one of them is charged with. Like, what do you mean no one's wrongly convicted? And of course, there's no way for her to know that. Yeah, because what Annie Dukin was doing specifically was a technique. This is how many times I've watched this fucking video. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For the record, for listeners, I don't know if you heard this. I've seen this documentary like eight or nine times. So like her coworkers were accusing her of dry labbing, which is where you maybe test like one sample but if they all came in you're just like eyeballing it and be like oh well that looks like cocaine so i'm just gonna say it's cocaine without actually testing it when like they actually discover that like one of the samples that she tested or that she should have tested was actually table salt right so like yeah very funny to say now that annie dukin's bit is i don't want anything to do with this drug let's just get out of it and like write it up and then Sonia's like, I want everything to do with this drug. <laughs> yeah, they really yeah. are polar opposites in terms yeah. of how this scandal unfolded. Sonia's getting wet testing. <laughs> <laughs> On the job training. Thank you. Thank you. Getting wet testing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. I'm going to take off. T- see you later, okay. Jeff. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, there's a couple attorneys in here who kind of play the hero role. Luke Ryan is one of them, Jared Olenoff, the other. They're defense attorneys, and they recognize immediately that these scandals are probably going to have impacts for their clients. And the documentary does this thing where Luke Ryan mentions this, and then the documentary's like, for example, Rafael Rodriguez. And I'm like, oh, he's dead. He died. Because all throughout, they interview the family And they keep bringing up Rafael Rodriguez, but they never talk to him. 
And it's like, I don't think he's just in prison. Yeah. Luke Ryan, for those of you that, if you've seen this before, he's the ACLU attorney, right? Like he's the guy that worked with the ACLU because he's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney. Right. And he Um, eventually works with the ACLU on their case. I don't know if he was initially working for the ACLU. Yeah. No, he was a private partner. Yeah. Also only 1500 followers on Twitter. Wow. People should be following him more. I checked him out to see what's going on. Well, maybe he should spend less time on the law and more on social media. Maybe he should figure his shit out, you know? Yeah, I agree. He needs to prioritize better. (laughs) Jared Olinoff, he's another lawyer who all of his clients would have had their cases go through the lab that Sonia Farrick worked at. And he goes through looking for any drug test results signed by Sonia Farrick, and he finds them. And then that's when they start talking about her childhood. And I'm like, ah, I don't care that much. But at least it wasn't a whole episode. Yeah, I actually was reading articles about this docuseries. And one of the things is that the family really insisted that there's stuff included about Sonia being like a human being and like her childhood. And like they wanted her to be humanized in this and not just like she's just a drug addict. And it's like, no, it's like it's always complicated. And I think that in a docuseries that is about people being wrongfully convicted for drug offenses I think it's also important to talk about like why people actually would go to prison for a drug offense or like why they do get arrested for these sorts of things and like what leads people to addiction. And I think it's just like, even though she screwed over a lot of people's lives with her addiction and doing it at work, I think it's just also really important just to mention that it's like, yeah, she's also a person who also struggled with this. And it's like, she's also a human being who failed and fucked up. Annie Dukin has never spoken to the press. Never. She's never spoken. So that's why we got very little from her and little about her because she's never, nobody's ever spoken to the press. She's trying to get a husband. That's why. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, I think it's more, I just have a hang up about hearing about childhoods in general. It's always my least favorite part. Like if I'm reading someone's autobiography and they're talking about their childhood i'm like come on neil young can you just get to where you record tonight's the night in the 70s because you want to hear about him when he was young neil young no i don't i don't but that's just my own personal hang-up i think but yeah we get it adam you hate kids but i do also feel like i mean in this case i guess it's unavoidable but they do spend a lot of time humanizing her and then there's like she's essentially got like fifteen thousand victims out there and we get to hear about like one or two of them and we don't delve nearly as deep into the destruction she might've wrought on this community. I mean, we, yeah, I guess you don't get the actual individuals. You just get, they focus you on one specific, you know, or two specific people. Right. Yeah. But either way, I'm not mad at it. I just, eh. you sound mad, Adam. I guess I'm like Madam Todd Brown. (laughs) Well, that's something else. That's his drag podcast. (laughs) Coming soon. So they make their way back to Sonia starting her work at the Amherst Lab in 2004. She finds it to be a way more relaxed atmosphere than the Boston Lab. And they show us videos and it looks like Chernobyl right before it exploded. It does. It is concerning that there was like legal stuff happening in this decrepit rundown room that I would not be comfortable sleeping in. I think it's legally considered a shithole. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But also, this is the one lab that handles all drug cases for, like, all of Western Massachusetts. But in their defense, there aren't that many. Especially not in Western Mass. (laughs) Yeah, not at all. I was going to test these drugs, but then I got high. (laughs) I mean, they do talk to a drug chemist who talks about how they are, like, it's like the department that everyone forgets about. They're like, oh, no one ever remembers that drug chemists are like a part of the system. And so it's like, I get why they have like no funding for better (laughs) equipment, better space, better anything. And Um, another thing they seem to have no funding for is like security checks and putting measures in place to make sure that, say, your chemists aren't using the drugs that you have on hand in the lab. That seems to be the big overarching theme here is like, hey, we should probably have some form of oversight for all the drugs handlers, right? It's truly astounding that they're like, yes, handle all of these drugs, but we're never going to drug test you. That is an addict's fucking dream. I'm normally kind of lukewarm on the idea of drug testing, especially if you're just doing like an office job where you're not fucking with the public. But a situation like this, and I know there's more examples where a drug test might be in order, but in this case, fucking of course you want to test for drugs. I would test motherfuckers every day. I got drug tested when I when I started working at Ikea. Yeah. Like we're not for meatball meatball residue. (laughs) Honestly. But it's like we got drug tested like starting work there. I was like, what what why? What? Yeah, what if the meatballs made you test positive for ketamine? Oh my god. We had drug tests when I worked at the uh, trucking company because there was so Mm -hmm. much I mean that that's fine. You know, yeah, you're driving around forklifts and shit. Yeah. One of the things they also didn't keep track of was what they call standards, which are their reference drugs that they keep on hand. Like if they say have to compare, oh, is is this meth? Well, let's see what the meth we have in the refrigerator looks like. Yep, that's meth. And they just had a bunch of that shit. And one day Sonia was like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try the meth. I'm going to dip myself into that meth. We make the meth in-house. Somebody comes to your table and makes the meth for you. They had to be such good drugs because they're all pure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pure. Mm -hmm. It's like when you'd see like government weed. (laughs) Yeah. You'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. There was a point even before medicinal weed where there were like 50 people in the United States that the government would send medical weed to every month. And it was like, it's you don't want to know why they're in bad shape. (laughs) Yeah. It is very interesting, though, because, yeah, we get to the part where she does the panic and tries to add water (laughs) to it. Oh, my God. It's obviously the densities are not compatible. So it basically like creates a water slick on top of this oil or whatever. And And they're just like, oh, it went bad. (laughs) Toss it out. And I'm like, did you like toss it in the trash? (laughs) Like, what do you do with liquid meth? Honestly, what a lucky fucking break. Like they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to audit the standards refrigerator and like she pours the water in there and they're like, well, guess this one went bad. And it's like, are you kidding? You lucky son of a bitch. Like That should have been her wake up call to be like, well, no more drugs. I got, yes. I got out. Honestly. I got away with it. But instead she's like, well, onto the bottle of amphetamines. Time to move on. Hold on. Let me get some, let me get an SOS pad and a crack pipe. Now that Especially feels like she- a lateral move. 
Well, especially when she's like, oh, well, the standard was getting pretty low. And it was like, girl, (laughs) girl, (laughs) it was getting, why was it getting low? (laughs) How low? How quickly? And when this scandal finally breaks, again, shortly after the Annie Dukan scandal, at first, and pretty much the whole way, prosecutors, like at first they want just these two samples that she was caught with to be tested and nothing else considered. And then they end up putting this timeline in place where they're basically like, look, the last six months of her employment, she started, you know, doing drugs on the job. And maybe she fucked up some stuff in that time window, but it's only that time window. Nothing else matters. Yeah. So we have an oopsie. <laughs> I mean, this is when they talk about being like, one does not just start smoking crack six months ago. Like, right. Shit was happening before this. And then this, you know, comes to the fact that they're like, no, this definitely started before then. Like, are you joking? Like, this is way earlier than six months. Yeah. I do love the defense when they were like calling this into question uh, and the AG and all them. They're like, yeah, it's just six months. You're like, are you fucking kidding me right now? In what world? <laughs> In what goddamn world would that be the case? And that fucks over some of their clients because they have clients who were arrested in like 2011 and Sonia Farrick worked on their cases. But according to the court, doesn't matter. She had not started doing drugs yet. Because Massachusetts AG is just trying to minimize the amount of damage that this will do and minimize the scope as small as possible. Because I think it's like, you can tell that everybody knows everybody from the prosecutors to the defense, everybody knows that if it is actually like for a much longer time, if they actually know what, like how long people abuse substances and things like that, and how long she's been at that job, they all know that it probably goes back to the beginning. And it's like, okay, so we have to try to make this as small a window as possible because holy shit, we can't let this go back to 2004. Oh my God. What they want to do is make sure that it's funny because there's like a stats issue there and like a a funds issue, you know, when so many people are like wrongfully imprisoned and that makes everybody look bad. It's going to be expensive, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, they're like, some people clearly are innocent. And they're like, yeah, but some of them were guilty anyway. (laughs) It's like, yep, guess you should have thought about that before you fucked up. This is kind of what you saw with Illinois and the death penalty. There was just this one rogue cop in Chicago who near the end of his career was like, yeah, I coerced confessions out of like 500 people. And like some of them are on death row. And it was so extensive and obviously didn't end with him. The governor was like, we have to suspend the death penalty until we can look into literally every one of these cases, which is never going to happen. So the death penalty will probably not come back until some right wing fuck stick gets elected governor of Illinois two years from now or whatever. It's always in the balance. <laughs> Illinois is very bad at electing its own officials. Yeah, you don't want to scratch that surface too hard. You're going to get blood real quick. And so then the documentary moves into talking about Annie Dukan, who she works at the lab in Boston, which is it's a huge lab and it's one of the biggest drug testing labs in all of Massachusetts. She is a star employee just cranking out drug tests faster than anyone else can. Yeah, faster than his 
feasibly possible. And like her coworkers notice. They're just like, um, this is a lot faster than anybody else can. It, like, how is she doing this? This can't be true. It is really funny that a lot of the people, they're like, Annie's an all-star. And everyone else is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, how it's do you do it, Annie? It's like when you're at work and you have, like, the one employee, the one coworker who's, like, your supervisor's favorite. And you're like, yeah, because they're a fucking brown noser. And they fucking don't do their work properly because they're just kissing up to you. So you think that they're amazing. But really... They suck. That's why no one invites them to happy hour drinks. I worked with a guy at a furniture store when I was in my 20s. I briefly sold furniture for a living, or it was my job. I don't know if for a living was the right way to put it. And he was that guy. He was the one who was always buddying up to the manager. And it seemed like he was really good at his job. He sold by far more furniture than anyone else. But what actually happened is he discovered a loophole where if you sold something and scheduled the delivery anywhere between now and like 90 days out, which the people would pay upon delivery, you Mm -hmm. would still get your commission even if that furniture hadn't technically been paid for and delivered yet. And that's what he was doing. He was just writing fake orders way out in advance and collected the commission on them as long as it took the company to realize what was happening. And then he just fucking disappeared. You know what? That's genius. Though. Yeah, that's great. That's a victimless crime. Sorry, that's a furniture. <laughs> you had it coming. My boss sucked. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for him. <laughs> It was pretty great. And so, yeah, Annie Ducan, they treat her like a star employee. She lands on police radar in 2012, though, because her fellow chemists had been complaining about how she wasn't doing any of the quality checks. And the police launch an investigation, and man, she gives it up real quick. Like, it seems like it takes them not long at all for her to finally be like, all right, do you know what dry labbing is? Let me tell you everything I'm doing. Yeah, she probably didn't think it was going to be as badly received as it was. Yeah, and probably because she was communicating with cops and prosecutors this whole time who were championing oh. everything she was doing. And she was oh, trying to get a hold of one of them. Yeah, she's trying to do some boning. She's trying to get a little bit of that uh, Greek sausage, if you know what I mean. Hey! What do you oh, mean? man, they really they really went out of their way to be like, George Papakristos <laughs> is a Greek man and you're like george okay, papa christianopolis <laughs> yeah <laughs> they kept having shots of like you know he has like it's like greek orthodox imagery and like greek written in his and i was like okay we, we get like, it no he's, we saw his greek. hair we know he's greek we saw his hair we saw his name <laughs> we know he's greek you don't have to okay we have to nail it to drive this home all right great <laughs> He's like, I'm a Greek man. And, and it is funny how much he was just like, I didn't fuck her. Like he's yeah, very, do we believe him? I mean, I don't know. Like, it seemed like he was playing along with it at the very least. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the gentleman doth protest too much. But at the same time, he seems like the kind of guy that wouldn't fuck someone with a lazy eye. <laughs> is that weird? Nice. Is that a, is that a rude very- thing to say? Because <laughs> he does seem like that, right? I mean, neither of us are disagreeing with you. Yeah. But I know it's I, not a nice thing to say out loud about a felon, but true. But true. Like, I don't think he did. I love the part where he's just like, I met her once. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't know why she's obsessed with me. I think it's because um, she's a psychopath. 
I think too. And like, that's the thing is that like, I don't think they ever did just because it's like his reaction to this coming out is him being like, what the fuck? There is a very him being like, so then I had to change my whole fucking life because of this lady. Like he kind of had to be, well, then I had to like fucking leave. I resigned because this psychopath is trying to get me. <laughs> yeah. Sending she did weird, like four words of fake emails. Yeah, she, that she doctored an email to forward to him. I love the fact that they figured it out that it was a fake email was because she sent it from Suzanne, but spelled wrong. Yes. <laughs> like, they're like, no, it's Suzanne with a Z, not Suzanne with an S. And you're like, oh, got her. <laughs> like, nice job, Annie. Annie, are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? I also just love boyfriend. Are you crazy? Like, and then like attached photos. Girl, all the desperation on her. How can I find a boyfriend when I'm modeling all these bikinis? <laughs> oh man, I was like, oh girl, the desperation does not smell good on you. <laughs> And yeah, so when they find this out, by the time they do, she'd been working at the lab for nine years. And Annie? Had she also been working there for nine years? I thought that was her. They had parallel. Oh, wait. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're right. Sonia Ferrick. Yeah, Sonia was nine years. This documentary jumps around. It does. And it does, like, that's. It's yeah. easy to find the seams because one is like, here's this overachieving psychopath that's over here. And, uh, oh, over here is a lady with crack pipe burns on her mouth coming into work every day. Yeah. No, it's just hard to follow from a reading the notes perspective yes. right now. Yeah. I, I, I do like how long it took for Sonia. Like, because you, they interview Sonia's coworkers. Like, they talk to her like, yeah, she'd be gone for, like, really extended periods of time, like eight times a day. And it's like, you know, you work in a drug lab. Did you want to address that at all? And they're like, well, she got the work done. I yeah. mean, if she, that's not capitalism at its finest. Yeah, she yeah. just um, smoked some 72-hour energy. So she's <laughs> going to be able to get this work done. I feel like we glossed over the other emails that Annie was sending. Because, yeah, she was, like, trying to hit on this DA. But she's sending emails to prosecutors saying, like, yeah, let's find this guy guilty. Oh, yeah, they're all bad people. They're all like, yeah, let's put these people in jail. Yeah. And like is like really chummy with the DA. Yeah. But the DA is us. chummy with her back. I think that exactly like in some cases it was prosecutors emailing her and being like, hey, these are bad people. This person's going to take a plea deal, blah, 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 and really collaborating in a way that the police and your local drug lab chemist are not supposed yeah. to. There was a drug lab guy that goes, we're scientists. We work in data. We don't take sides. That's not our job. We are a part of this machine. We are not a driving force for justice. Right. And yeah, those emails come out and it makes it pretty clear she saw herself more as like one of them. Like as a cop, it was her job to also help make convictions happen, which no, of course it's not. And yeah. And they, my they job talk, to do that. <laughs> they talked to another chemist who I don't know what exactly, like where exactly she works, but she is another like drug chemist, I think. Yeah. And like she talks about how, you know, people just think that the chemists are this like neutral, objective party 
But she's like, well, as you can see in Annie Dukin's case, like, that's not true at all. Like, there's still people who still have opinions about what they're doing. And, like, Annie Dukin was just, like, absolutely, like, oh, no, I work for the police. And it's like, oh, girl. And you actually see that if you watch enough true crime documentaries, you see that especially with pathologists, too, Mm. or pretty much any medical professional who might be called to testify in a situation like this. You can pretty much always find one who's going to side with the cops and one who's going to side with the defense, which is not good. That's not good for society, but that's how it works. And he's just trying to get get some attention from anybody that'll look. Yeah, she is yeah. hungry for it. She's like, she I also- hope somebody's turn-ons is doing 35 drug tests in the time it takes everyone else <laughs> to do three. She was also lying about going to Harvard night school, which also made me giggle. I was like, yeah. Harvard has a night school. Yeah, she's like, I'm getting okay. my associate's degree Yeah, at, at Harvard. They had like a party for her and everything. I was like... This woman's whole life is a lie. <laughs> uh, Jack, as a heads up, they're pronounced. It's a it's a patty. <laughs> oh, there. my apologies. Please. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I do appreciate you correcting the problem. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, that's a good example of like Sonia is clearly this sort of like this out of control victim of her own addiction kind of a thing. Yeah. Whereas Annie's is just this like overly ambitious and I pardon if I'm not using the proper phrase, but psychopath. Yeah. I mean, it's at least got to be sociopath, something along those lines, because she has to know what she's doing. It's not just emailing and flirting with local prosecutors and playing loose, loosey goosey with drug tests. Like she's putting people in prison. Like She's ruining lives. Well, she thinks she's doing her job. Right. And they're treating her like she's doing her job. Even her boss didn't question her doing all of these drug tests in the amount of time that her coworkers are doing so much fewer. Like the fact they're like, oh, no, she's a model employee. And it was like, well, clearly she was doing what they were asking her to do. So it's, yeah, you know, she's she's part of a larger problem and just like, you know, and it's just a, a symptom of it. I do love that they were like, she did track and field. Yeah, that's and the only real like, background we get. Right. About yeah. it. She was an athlete and she worked hard. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I guess she, I imagine the family just didn't give as much access. Yeah. They're yeah. not interested. Yeah. So Meanwhile, Sonia's family is like, we'll tell you anything you want. Come on over. Yeah. yeah I found her, her mom and her sister are both in the documentary too, talking about her, which yeah. is what you want. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I'm always weary of a mom in a documentary. If she's there to represent the person who did the crime. Because that's the least objective person I, you can talk to. Yeah, but in this case, it's very much just like, yeah, she did that. Like, they're very much like, yeah, we're very aware that she did this crime. Yeah, like, she does know admit that there are it, circumstances. But there's, she's not. There's also like person. moments at the end where she's like mad that Sonia's therapy records came out. And it's like it's in the interest of like 20,000 people who were arrested wrongly take it easy yeah i'm of two minds on that one like i am grateful that it did come out to like help all of these people that she put in prison but at the same time like i'd also be furious if like something i did forced my therapist to give up notes of all the things i've said in therapy it's like that's supposed to be a private space well to be fair the therapist isn't the one it was the worksheets that they found 
in the well, car. They, they had to give up more oh, yeah. information because they found yeah. that worksheet. They were like, hey, we actually got to ask for more because that's when they find out that at some point in therapy, Sonia had admitted to having been on drugs the entire time that she's been working there. Now, my question to that is, oh, man, it's been a long time since I've taken a psych class. What is the law in regards to if you know somebody is doing a federal crime, like the mandated reporter aspect here, right? Like if somebody is going to harm themselves or someone else, or if they're doing a federal crime, isn't there some form of mandated reporting in that regard? It depends. It's like if they're planning on harming somebody else, like if they're, you know, 20,000 innocent people. But it's like, it's not like she said, like, ah, yes, I am going to go to work and I am going to, I'm going to be bad at my job and put all these people in prison. It's like, she was just like, I'm doing drugs at work, but nobody was really like, what's the implication of that? I think it's more like, oh, I'm going to kill my mother. Like, that's the sort of stuff. I mean, if you're doing drugs at work and you work at Burger King, I can understand if we'd be like, hey, let's. Like, that's not a thing you can, I think we would even want to put on medical professionals. Like, that's the, again, they eventually get around to the point that the bigger failing here was that the lab didn't put anything in place to keep this from happening. So, like, I don't know that the psychiatrist was under any... I'm not like blaming the psychiatrist for not reporting it. I'm just saying like when it comes down to it and if you're of two minds of it, I'm like, I'm really only of one mind in this situation. If somebody is doing harm to people because of their addiction, I don't mind that information getting put out. So it undoes at least some of the harm that's being done. Like I get that there's this like sacredness of the doctor patient confidentiality aspect of it but also like once you're causing damage hey fuck your confidentiality well my thing also is i would take sonia's mom's protests about privacy a lot more seriously if she wasn't also being interviewed in a documentary about sonia's crimes because like annie's parents didn't feel like they had to be present for this like it's pretty cut and dry what annie did although it's actually not that cut and dry what annie did in a lot of ways that's cultural oh it's i guarantee a huge part of it you know like because obviously annie comes from a south asian state and you know originally and then uh we have some white ass western masters over there although i'm not sure where they're originally from did they say where she was? She was from Massachusetts. Um, Sonia, right? Sonia was born in uh, San Diego, California, and she's and part moved. of a military family. <laughs> and they moved and they, a year later, right? Yeah, and then they moved to Rhode Island, which is primarily where she grew up. And then she went to Western Massachusetts Polytechnic, I think. Oh, this she is went really, to WPI. She went to Worcester is, Polytechnic. Yes, Worcester Polytechnic. Uh, she went to Worcester Poly, which was right next to the comic shop that I worked at. Hey! Um, so we get all those nerds uh, coming in all the time. So, yeah, she went to yeah. WPI. But yeah, general New England. She's like a wicked hot Pats fan. That was something they talked about. Yeah. A lot. Oh, for sure. Like, like, I mean, honestly, her fandom for the Pats was ultimately her downfall. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, we're jumping a little bit ahead. But when they first uh, get the evidence in the Sonia Ferret case, the two lawyers, it's thousands of pages and a bunch of stuff is just labeled assorted lab paperwork. And the lawyers are like, what's that? And it becomes this big, long back and forth fight that carries on for years. And 
they finally grant one of the lawyers the like after Sonia Farrick has already been arrested and basically sent to prison because what happened is he asked to see whatever assorted other lab paperwork meant and it goes to court. The judge says no. And the state is like, well, we have an active investigation going against Sonia Farrick, so we can't show it. And then once she's arrested and goes to jail, he's like, hey, you said it's because there was an active investigation. That investigation isn't happening anymore. Can I please see this evidence? And they're like, you can come look at it in person. And they let him see it. And he goes through all these pages and he finds these rehab diary entries, sort of. Yeah, it's yeah. a service net diary card. <laughs> I want to point out, I'm really pulling all of this from memory. ServiceNet diary card, and it's like ServiceNet is a therapy group, they discover. And it's like, oh, so she's in therapy, and this is what she's talking about in therapy. She has to, like, say, like, if she used drugs that day at work, and then, like, write a little diary entry. So one of the days that Luke Ryan's client was tested um, was the day that she actually did say that she used drugs. And Well, not just that. So- she used drugs, but that day she dipped into well, the LSD standard. Yes. And in her notes, she says she does not recall doing any lab tests that day. But her lab well, notes show that she did a bunch of lab tests that day and labeled them all heroin. Yes. And so they were like, okay, well, we got to make sure that this is for twelve twenty two eleven and not like some other year. And so unfortunately for her, unfortunately for Luke Ryan and his clients and everything that she had written on Christmas Eve that she's like, Oh, missed the first part of the Pats game. And so he's like, Oh, when was the last time that the new England Patriots played a Christmas Eve game? And yeah. sure enough, 2011. 2011. So they got the time frame moved from six months to December of 2011 because they had another goalpost of like, nope, this is actually like we have proof of like she was on drugs yeah, on this day. Yeah. Who among us isn't on drugs on Christmas Eve? Oh, of course. If I'm being 100% honest, who's not taking LSD? Yeah. Imagine driving around town Christmas Eve with all the lights up. Mm-hmm. I bet it's very pretty. Bet it's very pretty. And pretty enough to ruin your career over. So yeah, all of this is happening at the same time the Annie Dukin's scandal is coming out. And Annie Dukin ends up being sentenced to three to five years in jail for her role. And with that, you would think they would just start researching all of her cases. And they don't because this is government we're talking about. I guarantee you they're still working on like MS-DOS or something yeah. like they the, like print it out from a dot matrix printer, all the stuff they got to do. Yeah. One of the mm-hmm. people they interview is like, we should be able to just pull up a database and search for every case. Annie Ducan was responsible for. And he's like, we can't. So it takes them years to put together a list of all of the cases that might've been impacted by her crimes, which is nuts. And they're like, well, at least we've got these old boxes of files. <laughs> yeah. That's and fun, right? When the suggestion starts going around that the people Annie Ducan sent to prison or sent to jail should maybe be freed, there's this misconception among the public that they're talking about flinging the jailhouse doors open and just letting thousands 
of hardened criminals out onto the streets. Yeah, at like once. the end of Batman Begins. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you want? You want us to be like Gotham in the Narrows? And it's not that at all. Like 90% of these cases are people who went to jail, did their time, and just want this conviction taken off their record because... So they can get a fucking job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the way the criminal justice system works... If you have a conviction like that, it makes your life really hard. So it's pretty high stakes for these people. And the way the justice system is supposed to work, if there's this kind of question in your case, like, was the woman who tested my drug sample high at the time? Or was she collaborating with the police? Your shit's got to be tossed out. If they can't determine if everyone's guilty, they can't determine if anyone's guilty. Yeah, it's the anti-RICO case. Pretty much, yeah. And so, yeah, they talk about some of the different clients. We don't have to get into all that. You don't want to get into all that? Because I'm down. Okay. Every single client. Let's do it. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about them all. Yeah, yeah they, six hours. There yeah. is one guy we should mention, Rolando Pinate. Mm-hmm. He and Rafael Rodriguez are the two clients that come up the most. Rolando Pinate, he was arrested in 2011. And since the state decided Sonia Farrick's crimes only went back to 2012, he wasn't able to be released. And that's where the Patriots game and her admitting in therapy that she was using drugs at work, that's where that all comes into play. Because once they realize that, that she had been doing it at least since 2011, then it just opens the floodgates. And they're like, well, how long... Has she been doing it? And uh, it turns out it's a long time. She's been doing it and doing it and doing it well. She'd been doing it since 2004. Yay! Good time. Remember 2004? No. Good times, man. Not really. 9 11 was was fresh. (laughs) I was 14 years old. (laughs) I just started teaching. I would have had you in class. Probably. I taught 14 year olds. Great. Yeah. So let's fast forward to 2015. A woman named Maura Healy takes over as attorney general of Massachusetts. After we lost Martha Coakley. And it seems like she's going to be on the side of maybe going back and looking at these cases again, at least at first. And so people are cautiously optimistic. But at this point, there, again, isn't really even the means of putting a list together to figure out who all has been impacted. And meanwhile, Luke Ryan wants to know why he was never shown this evidence regarding Sonia Farrick's drug use. And this is where those emails really come into play. This drove me absolutely insane. This is a thing you see in so many true crime documentaries where, yeah, we're talking about people who committed crimes and the people who arrested them. Sometimes those prosecutors need a little more than to be shamed in a true crime documentary. And they at least get that here. But these motherfuckers are the real criminals in this. Mm -hmm. When you're working as just a low level lab employee and the fucking assistant attorney general is emailing you like, Hey girl, would you mind labeling this heroin? Even though it's Brown sugar, find a boyfriend yet. And it's like, of course she's going to go for that shit. Yeah. Going to eat that up. Well, and it's not like, it's that the new AG asked the troopers to look into the prosecutorial misconduct. And it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. You want the system to look at itself yeah. right. and determine. So box to look at the hen house and see if there's any evidence of wrongdoing. Oh, my God. And then all they came back with was 
Luke Ryan was actually the problem here. And he's like, you're joking. You're joking yeah. here. It's are one you? of those things where you're like, what do you think the police are going to find and reveal? Have you not heard of the police before? But yeah, you're not going to believe this. The police fucked up because Get out of town in their what? in their report. They say something along the lines of how the stuff Luke Ryan is looking for doesn't even matter. And if you don't believe that, you should look at the CD of emails entered into evidence as like evidence file 17. And Luke Ryan's like, can I see that CD with all those emails? And the judge is like, yeah, I don't see why not. It's, they it's, met up at a Barnes and Noble to yes. exchange it. <laughs> yeah. detail. Luke Ryan brought his mom so he she could his mom. be a witness in case things got out of hand. Hell yeah. And it's just chock full of emails between prosecutors and lawyers acknowledging that they knew Sonia Farrick was doing drugs at work since like 2004. Well, and there's a bunch of emails that are like, uh, assistant AG Chris Foster, who we didn't even mention earlier, who is like the reason why he was prevented from seeing any of the evidence in the first place. And my favorite is when they ask, I think he's a former DA from Massachusetts. And they were like, so they're bringing out the B team uh, talking about Chris Foster. She's like, she's not going to jump. They're bringing out the B team. And he pauses and he goes, C team. It was, oh, wow. Yeah. Dragger, dragger, man. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, she also, uh, and, in researching this, did you guys, you know, when you looked at like what's been going on lately with these people, like they're still dealing with like as of like 2021, they were still in court for this well, and getting like, ripped apart. Yeah, I have at the end of the notes, it came out just this year in February. The Boston Globe did this huge report, which their article on it is like documentary length. So we weren't yeah. going to get into it, but basically Annie Dukin was one of five or six people who was actually referred for criminal charges in this. And they only ended up charging Annie Dukin, but the same yeah. guy wow. who discovered what she was doing referred four other people for the same shit for like yeah. changing lab results. So I guarantee there will be a season two. Of this documentary. Yeah. I believe that one of the articles was about how Annie Dukin is basically the sacrificial lamb yeah. for the rest yeah. of, of this really broken lab. Yeah. But going back, Assistant AG Chris Foster and Assistant AG Kesmeric, I think was their last name. Anna Kesmeric, um, yeah. Yeah, that they had found out that there were emails from both of them talking about how much they didn't like Luke Ryan. <laughs> that they were like, he's an asshole. He's such a he's such a dick. And like, and he has to see all of these emails that like they don't like him. And so it's like it's clear that there's a bias that they're like, well, we're not going to show him the evidence because he's a he's an asshole. And he's just over here like you're supposed to give me exculpatory evidence and you're not fucking doing that like you have to do that you're yeah. legally required to do that this to is legally petty this is a <sighs> documentary that the well i don't believe conspiracy theories crowd should watch conspiracies happen all the time and a lot of times it's just the police cooperating with motherfuckers like this that's a conspiracy too and your fucking beloved local cops engage in them more than anybody. And this mm -hmm. is an example. This is people conspiring to keep wrongful 
convictions on the books and they're doing it behind closed doors and in secret. And eventually it comes out and it's not a conspiracy anymore. But if you suggested this was happening before the attorney got his hands on that CD full of emails, you get what's in that state troopers report where they're like, this guy's crazy. He's making baseless claims. And then whoops, turns out he's not. Turns out he was right the whole time. Like on last week's episode, we covered the Pez Outlaw, which is such a fun documentary. The subject of that documentary talks about how he at one point thought the Pez Corporation was having him followed in like the late 90s. And he was like, but I know I was just being paranoid and crazy. And the filmmaker jumps in and goes, actually, we have documents that show Pez was following you at that time. And he's like, oh, great. I'm not crazy. That's amazing. It happens. Anyway, episode four opens with Sonia Farrick's sister talking about how hard transitioning back into real life is from prison. And it's like, yeah, that's why you want to be careful to not wrongly send people to prison. You don't want to guzzle liquid meth at work. (laughs) That too. But also, I mean, in this case, I know her drug use should be criminalized, but in general, no. It's more of the theft. That yeah, that wasn't about. your meth yeah. to throw out and mix yeah. with water. Did you bring enough meth for the class, Sonia? <laughs> so, yeah, again, the state yeah. had all this evidence about Sonia Farrick in their hands that showed that she's been doing this since way back in 2004. So that means there's going to be a whole lot of cases involving her also. And they find that out right around the time the Annie Dukin list is completed. And there are 24,000 names on that Yeah, this is one of those things where the for-profit prison system was just like, we're going to take a hit like Dogecoin right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, people lost stock that day. It's just so hard not to think about the people that went to prison and did their time on a wrongful conviction. And just how many people are just like, I lost four years of my life in prison because of this, because of one person, because of one lab tech. You got your Um, life stolen from you. Yeah, yeah. And so on the other side of the state, the highest court in Massachusetts decides that there should also be a slightly better inquiry into the Sonia Farrick case, they basically decide that there was no inquiry the first time. And while they can't force the state to do it, they want them to do it. And if they don't do it, they'll find a third party to do it. So that really opens the floodgates and it leads to a very satisfying ending for this documentary, which is a whole lot of footage of Anna Kazmarek and Chris Foster having to sit down in court and answer not only for how they conducted this investigation, but also all of those emails. Every time he brings up an email and they're like, I don't remember. He's like, well, here it is. Would you like to read it? And it is a moment I wish so many more shitty prosecutors and cops would get at the end of true crime documentaries. But I mean, nothing happens. They don't like go to jail. But it's fun to watch. They're getting sued, right? Like, isn't that like the whole thing? Or there's like a massive civil suit about it? There might be a civil suit about it now, but I don't think that's what was being depicted in the documentary. I think that was just the state finally investigating the Sonia Farrick case the way it should have been investigated to determine how far back. To determine the scope. 
Yeah. There were civil suits. Like one of the Rolando Peñate guy eventually filed a civil suit and he was after the fact awarded like $170,000. But they went to, this is part of it. Luke Ryan went to the Supreme Court of Massachusetts, I think. Yeah, basically, yeah. And said, like, you need to get rid of all of these. Him and the ACLU and Jared Olinoff in Eastern Massachusetts was like, hey, can I jump in here too? And they're like, yeah, go for it. Like, come yeah. on, come on in, man. Yeah, man come roll on up. In. And so then they were like, all of these need to be dismissed, every single one of them. And then they did it, which is like such a rare form uh, the justice takes. One yeah. of my favorite parts about this chunk of time is the courtroom reporter yes. who was just like this is like seeing the Beatles and the Stones live baby <laughs> like you don't see this shit happen you don't see an attorney general or a member of the attorney general's admit on the stand that they basically were falsifying or withholding evidence she's like you don't see that shit ever oh my god yeah I like that one of the people they interview talking about Chris Foster's testimony they're like it seemed like she thought she was doing really well, but she was actually just massively admitting to wrongdoing on the stand. Uh, it kills me that at the end, the update, they're like, oh, yeah, Anna Kazmarek and Chris Foster just went on to different government jobs. And yep. you're like, I would like to scream, please. Yeah. Yeah. They were moved laterally like they were pedophile priests. They were just moved to different places, a, a different parish. And if there's anything Boston knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's that's another true crime series we could cover, <laughs> but it's fine. The other good news at the end of this case, I should follow. I, I mentioned Rafael Rodriguez at the beginning. The reason they present him as one of the victims here and like highlight him is because he died after they got him out of prison, but not before his case was dismissed. He died no. of a drug overdose, which is a really heavy moment. Because yeah, he couldn't get work. Yeah, he couldn't. And he had this thing hanging over his head the whole time he was out. Yeah. And yeah, the lawyer mentions that he, you know, overdosed before anything could be resolved in his case, which also makes it sad because that time he was in prison is time that was taken away from him and his family. Yeah, he had young children. Yeah, very young children. So that part is a bummer. So it's the end of this documentary isn't all upbeat, but also on top of getting to watch that fucking assistant attorney general and her crony get grilled under oath. Also, we touched on it already a little bit. The vast majority of these cases end up getting dismissed. 21,000 of Annie Dukin's cases end up getting dismissed. And then like another 14,000 or so of Sonia Farrick's cases. If Annie hadn't been so efficient, that number would have been lower. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, and would she have even been caught? She really blew her war after that point in time. <laughs> For you baseball people. Wins above replacement. Also, replacement, I, Sonia Farrick. <laughs> also, I need a flaw in order shirt, please. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Right. That flaw in order uh, <laughs> exonerated crimes unit or something like that. Yeah. So cute. Yeah, I like that a lot. I feel like it's also important to note that George Papakristos, who was a prosecutor and then like quit because of any Dugan stuff, is now a criminal defense attorney. And like he made the switch and he's like 
I actually prefer this. He's like, you wanted to avoid doing criminal defense because you know you're up against the system. You know that the system is going to work against you and you feel so powerless and so helpless walking into that courtroom. But he's like, man, I feel so much better (laughs) on my conscience being a criminal defense attorney. It's like, yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, prosecutors are trying to put people in jail whether or not they're actually wrongfully arrested. Yeah, and it's just, it's so interesting because it's like, I think one reason why I love this docuseries so much is because it is about people taking on the system and the system being so inherently flawed and like letting things go and them actually prevailing over the system and them winning. And that's so rare, but like, it's just so nice to see that happen and like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's just such a shame. The only thing that can take out a bad guy with a law degree is a good guy with a law degree. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Very David and Goliath energy here um, yeah. that you get when you're going up against an entire corrupt system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they end it by talking about Rolando Pinate's civil suit. I mentioned already that that was settled out of court. He, eventually was awarded $170,000. He was also arrested again in the midst of that civil trial, which I don't find suspicious at all. No, certainly not. Especially not when you read up on the details, which are that someone else was being arrested and then the police saw Rolando in the backyard and decided to arrest him too. It's like, what? I don't think that's how that's supposed to work. But It is when you're a corrupt system. Yeah, but he ended up, settling out of court. And yeah, we'll link to the Boston Globe article about Annie Dukin's lab. None of those other four employees, no charges were brought. Apparently there was no real investigation into it. And like none of that came out until 2023, February of this year. So yeah, I would not be surprised if there's a part two of this. At this point, I'm starting to question if anyone in Massachusetts has ever been properly arrested for drugs or if it was just all fake. I know some people. I don't mean five-hour energy, Jeff. Police aren't coming for you. I'm related to some people. (laughs) I'm sure. So that's our episode. Do we have any final thoughts on this documentary? I would recommend it. I think it's a really good snapshot of how jaw-droppingly true it is that, hey, sometimes the police are corrupt and the system really is rigged against people and it really is corrupt. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, just sometimes. Yeah. In Justin, Massachusetts. Just a few bad apples is all. I really like the subject matter. I like the story that they tell. There are times, at least watching the docuseries, that it does get a little, like, hopping around at times because they are yeah. hopping between both Sonia Farrakh's case and Annie Dukin's case. And you're just like, wait, hold up. Who belongs to which side of the state? Cause it's like, they're talking to, you know, attorneys from both cases and it sometimes it gets a little confusing and you're like, wait, hold on. We were just wait. Okay. So we're just putting a pin in Sonia's stuff and we're going over to Annie now. Sometimes it gets a little confusing. Yeah. But overall, yeah, you see that a good way to figure that out is do the buildings look like they're about to get demolished? If so, it's Western Mass. (laughs) I don't know. The one in Boston looked rough, too. That also I mean, they're old in Boston, but they're usually pretty well put together. Western Mass is just the one in Boston looked like some Soviet era shit like Romania. It's the oldest city in the country. You're the oldest city in the country. 
from there. Yeah. How do you like that? It's all right. It's all right. We got rough cops, but it's a good place to be from. <laughs> it's just Boston though. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I went to school uh, in several parts of the state, including Western mass as well as central Massachusetts. Western mass is, it's a weird place. Cause it's a very woodsy, very like go for a hike, do that. And then also they're like, and also be careful because someone's going to kill you. You know, even when I was fighting in the golden gloves in Holyoke, Massachusetts, which is in Western mass, they sent us an email saying, Hey, be very careful on the way in. And it's like, we're fighters. We yeah. fought, we're not even for money. We do it for fun. And they're just like, Hey, be very careful. It's a dangerous place walking over here. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's rough. I'm, gonna, it's I'm, a, I'm just going to say it. Massachusetts. We don't need it. Let's send it back. Let's give it back to England. What do we need? I Illinois. Mean, yeah. Okay. Okay. Look here. What do we need? Yeah. Look here. We, we don't need like, most. I'll agree with you. We don't need most of Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, our cops are corrupt. Have you guys heard about your everything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say there is a difference when you ask somebody where they're from and they say Chicago or Chicagoland or Illinois. It tells you everything about where they're actually from. So if they say they're from Illinois, they're from the fucking boonies. They're from so, Illinois. Ooh, I would argue you haven't ventured out into enough of Illinois. Like where I'm from is all the violence and poverty of Chicago with none of the nightlife. Like it's not a small town. It's a good place to go get shot in the face. We just don't Peoria, like, right? Yeah. We just don't get concerts and shit. <laughs> but like, other than that, it's not, it's but just like, like you would say you're from, you're from Illinois though. Yeah. I'm from Illinois, Chicago. but this is really, this is really where <laughs> the lines wow. are drawn. Jeff, you're seeing it. <laughs> I am. Well, yeah, I don't and think I'm just sitting back like I don't get frustrated when people say I'm from Western Mass, even though I'm from Central Massachusetts. The state's only like this big, though. So again, yeah, because, we, you know, look, we can turn this into a regional war right now. And that's fine. I think we, we should. should. Actually, that's the new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> regional war cast. Yes. So, hey, thank you both so much for doing the pod. I appreciate it. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Jack, how about you? Um, you can follow me on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Loves TV. Jeff, how about you? You can follow me on social media at Hey There Jeffro. Uh, I have infinity other podcasts. Jeff has cool friends. Ugh, fine with Kim Crawl, Nerd with Dre Alvarez. Tom and Jeff watch Batman on the Gameplay Unemployed Network. Unpopular opinion, uh, and uh, you don't even like sports with Adam on this network, as well as you don't even like sports cards. Our live streaming video where we open up packs of trading cards, uh, as well as the uh, I Must Break You on my own uh, YouTube account, which is the same as my social media at Hey There Jeffro. See me live the second Friday of every month. Blast from the past in beautiful Magnolia in Burbank, California for Mint on Card. Bye. All right. Let's get the fuck out of here. Jack, say goodbye. Bye. Jeff, say goodbye. See you in the next drug scandal. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. We love you.